Welcome to Sparks, a podcast from Ignium, designed to help you reignite your passion and drive your business forwards. So, Alistair, good afternoon. Uh, Alistair and I will be talking this afternoon. Alistair is a chartered financial planner with Hanford, Aitken and Walker. And we're going to be talking about the role of financial planning for business owners in building their business and helping them start with the end in mind so they have something to aim for. We're going to be talking about a number of different things through here in terms of looking at creating a legacy, building the systems to help your business get to where you want to be going, and actually how to grow your business so it becomes a business asset that you can look for forward to managing as you go forward. So Alistair, welcome to the uh, Spark by Econium podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Good to be here. And, and, and I, I introduced you just then as a, as a chartered financial planner. I'd love to know, what does that really mean? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I'm chartered. Uh, so the professional body to whom I align uh, holds a royal charter, and part of that royal charter um, is uh, is a sort of consumer centric uh, set of ethics, set of qualifications that are required. Um, it's generally seen as the gold standard in providing financial planning, and uh, that's all very well. But what's a financial planner? Uh, it's the the work I do sits alongside financial advice. So I'm also a financial advisor, or people might think of um, the the term IFA is something okay. that we might have referred to ourselves as ten years ago. Um, but the planning element is is front and center for us, as well as the other bits as well. Okay, so so that word IFA, a lot of people have talked about that, and there's been lots of things happening in the the finance sector in the last ten years. Um, and you're right, a lot of people talk about IFAs, they talk about wealth managers, financial planners. Um, just describe to me in that case, what does a financial planner do specifically that might be different to, to an IFA or wealth manager? Yeah, sure. Um, the first thing I'd say right from the top is that we as a profession um, use the same words to describe lots of different jobs and use lots of different yeah. words to describe the same job. So, so I can only give okay. you my view. Yeah, uh, that's always useful. Um, what I see financial planning being uh, is taking the person in front of you um, as being the, the the central part of the of the work that I do. Yes. Um, so. I we also provide financial advice effectively we help people with with products and we you know we work out we look after their money for them in the long term okay. but that comes alongside and as a consequence of both an initial and a regular planning exercise that says where are you today where do you want to be you know people tend to think in maybe 10 years well, people who are thinking about these things anyway, plenty of people don't give it any thought at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but people tend to think in 10 years, um, we tend to model out mm-hmm. right until, you know, people are in their late 90s um, because we want to say, is what you're doing now setting you up for the life and lifestyle that you want to have for the rest of your lives? Mm-hmm. And if not, what changes do we need to make for that to work? Yeah. So so interesting you use that word setting you up for the life and the lifestyle for your future lives. Um, we work with lots of business owners and we help them. Again, you mentioned about the ones who are doing it. We help those that we work with um, create a plan of how to grow their business that helps them grow the value specifically. 
And I talk about business, businesses as being an asset. And the phrase I use, that income follows assets. If you build the asset, it will then produce income over a period of time. But it's a long-term play. Um, and what you said there, which really triggered me, was saying actually helping people understand where they are today and where they want to be in the future so that they, they have the finances to be able to fund that lifestyle. How does a business fit into your model of doing that, I wonder? That's a really good question. And um, so it, it, it really depends on how much thought the um, the client we're dealing with has put into the saleability of the business. Yeah. Because ultimately, a business is worth, in, in, in the sense that we're thinking about it, what somebody's going to pay for it. And True. so... A very common starting point with business owners is, well, well, you see, I don't do I don't do long term savings and pensions because my business is the pension. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, great. So what's it worth on the open market tomorrow? You know, but let's let's describe. Oh, I've never really given any thought. Okay, so who's the typical buyer in your sector? Well, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Uh, great. Okay, so are there some manage? You know, are you thinking maybe management buyer? Oh, oh I haven't really thought about that that, that that kind of thing. And you know, which point? I say, well, for the time being, then we're going to ascribe a value of zero to that. Interesting. Okay. Because there's no assumption of what the value could be. Therefore, you've got to start from a baseline of zero before you move forward. Exactly. And um, and often what that actually does is the next time we meet, they come back and they go, you know how we said the business was worth nothing? Well, I've gone away and I've done a bit of work and I've found out that there is a buyer or that my you know senior managers would be interested in buying me out in the future. And that starts a whole different conversation. Great. And, and I think that's interesting isn't it? because one of the questions I often ask people when, I, when I'm starting working is uh, have the indication, any indication of what the business is worth and they, um, they don't understand that. And, and I often ask them, well, tell me in that case, what's your revenue today? And then most business owners typically know what the revenue is um, and they typically have some indication of what their profitability is. Uh, and, and when I then talked about value being a formula which is involving profitability or revenue, we can start start to make some assumptions. And the formula I often use is saying that uh, the value of your business is worth profit or some version of profit multiplied by a multiple, whatever that multiple is. Uh, And whenever I talk to a business owner about which side of that equation can you influence most to grow your value, the P or the M, most of them say, well, I'm working on P because I'm either increasing revenue or I'm decreasing cost. And I find that 99.9% of people are always working on that. What they're not doing is working on multiple, which is where you grow the asset to make it more valuable, not just profitable. Um, and I wonder when you talked about uh, lifestyle, I often have conversations with business owners about, well, what, what do you want your business to be worth? When you sell it, what's, what money do you need? Um, I wonder what that conversation looks like from a financial planner point of view in terms of, well, when you sell it, what do you want it to be worth? Yeah, and I think that's that's the side of the conversation that I find really interesting. And I think from our previous discussions, um, without giving too many spoilers away, mm-hmm. I, I think our process looks a little bit like doing for people's personal lives what your process looks like doing for business lives. Yes, yes. Um, you know, which is which is really really interesting. And and so where we're dealing with business owners. What becomes interesting is, uh, and I must say, it tends to be later on in the process than I'd like for this, for reasons that I'll come on to in a minute. But the conversation tends to be, um, okay, I'm thinking about selling my business. That's great. I I don't know what it's worth. Okay. How much do I need to sell it for Mm. to get, you know, to get the lifestyle and and, and life that I want in retirement Uh, or for the next phase of my life if that isn't retirement? And that question 
I, 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 I stop and think at that point and think, I wish you'd asked me this five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Because that might have influenced the decisions in your life, thinking about yeah. work-life balance, thinking about where to focus your energies. Um, mm-hmm. Because really, by the time you want to sell, it's too late to make much impact on those yeah. variables. Yeah, that's a, such a good point, isn't it? I, I, I have first-hand experience of that working for a business in, albeit 20 years ago now, where I was given 10% nominally of the business. And when, we, when I was only a, a young man at that time, 20, 10% of a business sounded good until I realized that business had no value at all. It had revenue, but no value. And actually what yeah. the owner hadn't done is worked out, what does that need to do create, to create value over time? Because I know that that business actually took another 20 years to sell. It sold in 2019. And for me, that would have been too long. And it was too long because I left that business many, many years ago. But I think the the key bit is around uh, not asking that question about what do I need to do to specifically grow value in the business so it can be worth something when I come to sell it. Because so many businesses aren't worth something. Exactly, and and so you know, a re- recent example, uh, a bit a bit of a bit of a case study idea is somebody coming within sort of two to three years of their planning of selling a business. They want to do a management buyout. They think they could go to a third party to to sell. Um, the third party would would pay them an amount, you know, sort of uh, low seven figures, um, but they know their managers won't be able to afford that. Hmm. But they prefer it to stay in 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 the set of hands that have been you know holding the tiller for for the last few years as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so the conversation is no longer how do I extract the most value from the business? How do I extract the most um, the, the 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 you know the biggest number of pounds and pence from the sale? We've established that actually on their time scale they only need about a third of the sort of supposed market value of that business to do wow. what they need to do. Uh, and when you say only need third, that's because you work backwards from what they their aspiration is to work out what they really need. Exactly. So oh. they, you know, they 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 have a, a lifestyle which is, um, you know, actually, you know, rel- relatively um, kind of frugal. Maybe is is the wrong word because they really enjoy holidays in Norfolk. They've got a holiday home on the coast, but when they're there, all they want to do is go walking. That's what really brings them joy. And so they're talking about relocating to Norfolk, selling their nice house in mm. you know in rural Leicestershire. Um, it will release capital from other sources. They don't yeah. need that capital from the business. They yeah. can choose to have it, and it will ease things. It will make their children's lives better. There are there's always a range of options yeah. but from an absolute, how do we manage our lifestyle, deal with life's ups and downs, get what we need out? Well, actually that's less than the figure they thought it was. Yeah. And that, yeah. and if nothing else, I, I, I said, if I said to, said to the, um, to the couple uh, in question, don't just go in and say, buy it for this amount that I need, but just know that in the back of your mind, when you're in negotiations, it just is going to be really helpful to know this is where you can go if you need to. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because, because typically most business owners have an overinflated view of what their business is worth to somebody else. But at the end of the day, a business is only worth what will, someone is willing to pay for it. Exactly. And I think that's the, that's the key thing. So, so tell me about this, this planning process. I'm intrigued around this about where do you want to be? What type of process do you go through with clients to help them understand where they want to be. Yeah, so I think the, the best description that, that I've seen about this process is, is it's, it's clarification of objectives okay. and aspirations. Okay. Because most people have, a, have a, an idea 
of, of the kind of lifestyle they want. And if they don't have an idea, the best starting point is the lifestyle they're living today. Right. Uh, okay. So if you look at if you look at what has been talked about historically and perhaps the, the public consciousness, the view on retirement, there's this idea that people spending drops. Um typically people seem to think by about a quarter or a third when they hit retirement. And you think, oh third. well Yeah, yeah. And wow. um and that's what the traditional final salary pension used to try and set up. It would aim to set you up with a half to two thirds. Of, of what you had as your final salary. Okay. Um, now, back back when those sorts of schemes were designed, people only were expected to live about 10 years past retirement date. So I'm not sure they're particularly a great starting point, but that is that is the sort of public consciousness. Um, so this idea, if you were to draw a curve of spending, that it would just kind of be a, a progressive downward line okay. um, post-retirement. And it yeah. just isn't what we see. Um, you know, we see something that looks typically like an uptick in the in the first, say, five years, where people yeah. want to spend some capital. They might okay. have some traveling plans, do everything they want to do while they can. And then we see a decline past that into, into people's 70s and 80s, um, followed then by, if they're very unfortunate, a big uptick later in life if they have a, a need for long-term care. Or okay. Um, and so... We factor this in when we're talking to people about the lifestyle they want. This is something we're worrying about, typically, so they don't have to. Mm. But if we make the base assumption that they want to maintain their current lifestyle, and then we add on any extra expenditure that they're planning outside of that, we can start to build a picture that isn't going to be right. And one of my favorite quotes is that, um, you know, all models are wrong, but some are useful. (laughs) And that is very much a mantra by which I live, because okay. we build visual future models for, for clients, for every client, and update it at least annually for them, okay. which says this is what the future might look like, but but definitely won't look exactly like this. Um, and that the closer that model looks to what the client believes that they're, you know, what the client wants, really, out of their lives, okay. the better yeah. it is, the more useful it is. So, so actually, so, so this thing about all models are wrong, but some are, some are useful. So you're trying to build something that, that fits what the client thinks they need at this stage based on potentially an, an uptick in expenditure post-retirement, some form of decline in expenditure, and then an increase in, in, in expenditure, which might get to, to, to care requirements later on in life. Um, so you're trying to build a model, but at this stage, it's very a finger in the air as to what they actually want. So what type of things do you encourage people to consider? Because you said that you start with your lifestyle today. But I know lots of business owners who, yes, they're creating a lifestyle and uh, they've got a vision of what payback will look like when they get to payback in their business. Uh, and I would say business owners, actually, if you do it right, payback is always bigger than you ever expected it to be. And most business owners haven't got a real clarity around what does payback look like. And I use that word payback because payback is, is the thing you set out to do. Uh, and often it's a financial payback. For some people, it's a cultural payback, either getting the lifestyle they wanted but either way, when they reach that payback, often they want the other thing. If they've got the money, they then want the lifestyle. If they've got the lifestyle, they then want the, the money. So what, what, what is it you put in there and say, look, why don't you think about this? What's the, what's the things that typically go into that modelling? Yeah, so it's really interesting um, because empirically, I would say that um, the evidence is that actually people don't change that much 
from okay. there isn't a there isn't a fundamental uh, right. This has happened now, and therefore I am going to behave differently. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm a, a terrible one for, for quotes, but there's a, this sort of classic Stoic idea that wherever you go, there you are. Okay. Um, and and it's very uh, um, appealing to think of this sort of this future you, future me, is going to own a yacht, and is going to travel around the world, and is going to sit in the Bahamas in a in a harbour somewhere for three months of the year. You know, future me is not going to worry about my spending. Future me is going to you know have a have a bottle of champagne uh, on ice at any given moment. You know, but if if present me is investing all of my time and effort and money into a business venture that that I define myself with. Hmm. Um, what I haven't seen in my experience of helping people through this sort of transition from, from, from work to retirement, I haven't seen big changes in behavior, big changes in the self without okay. some big external impact. So yeah. if you tend to be quite frugal, uh, if you tend to, you know, uh, be a be a watching the penny and the pounds will watch themselves kind of mentality, yeah. it tends to be very hard to persuade people like that to spend a little more, even though they can. And so part of our work at that point is almost a, a, a process of, um, and I use the word carefully in your presence, but almost a form of coaching. Yeah. Permission giving, really. Okay. You are able to do this. Yeah. And, and and it's actually some of my some of my most rewarding work is seeing people who have scrimped and saved because, for example, the business has been, you know, their 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 main investment arm and has been where all of the money has, has been kept kept back just in case. To actually mm. say, I don't have this need anymore. I can spend a little more, but it's only ever a little more. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So it's almost something about letting go and creating an aspiration. Uh, and, and the the thought that comes to mind is dare to dream. Because a lot of people don't dream of what they could have. And I think this is really interesting in terms of, you know, when you're building wealth, what wealth, what does wealth look like? And uh, you and I talked about this before. I often work with business owners around the cultural aspects of their business, as well as the value aspects. And when I say value, I mean financial value. But actually also the term values comes to mind because I often look at businesses and say, okay, what's the intent of your business? What's the purpose? Why does it exist? And, and a lot of business owners, actually, it's not about making money. And the best businesses I've seen have a core culture, a core purpose aligned to their culture, which says, actually, do you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to change the world in some small way. We're trying to feed people. We're trying to invest in our communities. We're trying to do something different. Uh, and the key is that if you get the culture right, the value, the financial value will flow. The money will flow. But for most people, it's not the be all and end all. And it may seem like we want to stack ourselves with wealth, but actually wealth is more than just financial and it's when people realise that they can get the bigger financial payback as well is the key. Yeah, I think so. And values is, is something that's really interesting. This also comes back to that question of how much are people going to change over time? Um, there's a fantastic uh, uh, concept uh, um, organisation uh, called the Kinder Foundation who are um, uh, they're, they're, they call their process life planning. And it's not something that, okay. I, that I ascribe to, but there's one question that they ask. There's a set of questions sort of preconceived that get people thinking about their, um, getting th thinking about their futures. But the one that has always stuck with me is, is, okay, imagine you've gone to the doctor and you've got a piece of really bad news. In exactly a year, uh, you know, I'm afraid you're slipping off this mortal coil. Um, however, you'll feel no pain. Uh, you, you're not going to have any any limited quality of life for the next year. How do you arrange your life 
you know, between now and then, what do you do? What changes? Is it exactly how life looks today or is it something quite different? And if it's something quite different, the, the subsequent question is, so why aren't you doing that right now? Yeah, yeah. And, and interestingly, when you've asked people that question, what does come up for people? Because it's quite, it's, it's an interesting question. A lot of coaches will ask people about what they want for the future. Um, what comes up for people? What type of things do you see or hear? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. It has, it has led to some, to some interesting conversations. Um, and I think, I think this comes back to that question of values. Um, I tend to see people are happiest when they're living their lives to, to a set of values. Hmm. And I tend to, to, to find that, you know, and interestingly, we have conversations that are ostensibly about money. Because at the end of the day, I am their financial planner. I am their financial advisor. Yeah. Um, uh, one conversation sticks in my mind. It wasn't directly related to that question, but we were talking about about lifestyle and life. And this is, these are two very busy people in their in their forties, building value for them and their and their children. Um, trying to work out, you know, whether to spend today versus spending in the future. So they had an opportunity to buy a beautiful house, uh, absolutely lo- lovely place, middle of the countryside, um, you know, stunning swimming pool, or, you know, that likes, but it will move back their retirement plans for two or three years. And so you've got a question, enjoy today versus enjoy the future. Mm-hmm. There's always a balance because we have a limited resource, which is our ability to bring income into the family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so... In that, at the end of that conversation, which is a good 45 minutes of, of, you know, and it got quite philosophical. And at the end, the client said to me, you know what? Thanks for that therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I said, well, it was about your finances. And he said, well, yes, it was, but also it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, actually, that thing about spending now versus spending in the future, because uh, a lot of the research I've read over time has been the fact if you look at those who are financially secure in the future, they have a different mentality with mind. And you mentioned just now about um, where, wherever you go, there you are. So I thought it was an interesting phrase. And um, you then mentioned about being, you know, if you're frugal today versus spendthrift today, what's the, what's the way you're going to be looking at things? And the thing I look at as well is you can tell who's going to be financially successful based on their spending and saving habits early on. And 95% of the world's population spend first, then save, whereas the wealthiest 5% save first, then spend. And I think that's really interesting in terms of getting that, that switch around taking money out off the top and putting it away versus spend, spend, spend. And if there's any left at the end of the month, I might put some away. So well, um, I've got a really interesting story to share on that one that, that that I remember from my very first job in in financial services was actually at a bank, and I was underwriting mortgages, and so we got a bit of we had to do a bit of forensic investigation of people who wanted a mortgage. Okay, we started to notice kind of cultural societal trends. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the saving what's left at the end is very common and often the answer is not very much. Yes. Um, the, uh, the Richest Man in Babylon, uh, which yeah. is a fantastic collection of short stories all about money, originally, I think, set up by some American banks, written by some American banks, funnily enough. But it's, but it's a great, great set of um, stories. It talks about paying yourself first. So that is the idea of moving. Um, they're, they're, the, the recommendation was always 20% of what yeah. you earn. To, to one side and not worrying about it. Then I came across something that almost exclusively happened um, for, uh, from people of uh, families of Middle Eastern origin. And that was they had their uh, salaries paid to a savings account. 
and they only moved out each month what they thought they needed to spend. Okay. And I just thought that's such an interesting kind of cultural difference, mm-hmm. because rather than we're going to save a fixed amount each month first, which is a massive improvement on waiting until what's left at the end of the month, it was one step further. And it said, actually, we're going to decide what we're going to spend this month and move that. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting thing, isn't it? It's, um, and Richard's Man of Babylon, it, it reminds me, I've not read that book for a number of years. But to me, there's a lot in there about putting that money aside and then understanding what you have to live on at the end of it. And I think from that perspective, that's the thing that creates long-term wealth. And there's lots of anecdotal stories of, of people who are, have been on mediocre salaries, but because they've adopted that principles and they've managed to, to gain the benefit of compound interest over time, they've then saved a fortune or, yeah, saved up a fortune they can do something later on with. Um, and that, fast, that interesting thing around, you know, the, the Middle Eastern mentality you mentioned there with a number of families about having the money paid into a savings account as opposed to your normal checking account, that's a different mindset, very different mindset. Yeah, and, and as I say, it's something I, I, I never quite managed to do it myself, I should hasten to add. Um, but, it, but it is, it's just different ways of thinking about the yeah. same problem. Yeah, um, yeah. This, this also it play, plays actually really interestingly into that concept of building value into a business. Mm, okay, because tell me about I, um, uh, uh, sort of aside from the day job, do quite a lot around financial education for people that aren't going to access or have access to uh, financial planning and financial advice. There is very clearly what I would, or what is often described as an advice gap because the cost of advice due to heavy regulation, due to continuing professionalization is out of reach for a lot of people. Mm. Um, And when we, when we see people uh, uh, asking questions and particularly um, people who are young, who are in situations where their earnings aren't very good, actually um, often the best investment they can make at that point isn't putting, you know, 10% of their, what is a relatively low income away, but is building that income to, to power their ability to gain assets over time. So um it's almost a bit of a cliche, but investing in yourself, so that whether that's education, yeah. um, you know, whether, whether that's looking at other skills that you can accrue. And I would say that that actually builds into that question of, of the business uh, mindset, of the entrepreneurial mindset. Because okay. again, and I'm speaking personally here, I've spent most of my last 10 years investing either into my own education or into the business directly, uh, because for me, that is my best possible return on investment. Yeah, yeah. And, and this links into the, the, the phrase I used earlier, that income follows asset. So, so I treat myself as an asset. I treat my business as an asset. Uh, and what you've just said is exactly that. If you invest in the asset, your income will follow. And, and that's the key thing. It's about building those skills that you can then sell to higher value later on. Uh, yeah. And to me, it's around uh, doing the things today that others don't so you have tomorrow the things that others won't to paraphrase uh uh and i've forgotten the name of the person there it's going to come to a minute so i'll come back to that point but actually to me it's about doing those things up front yeah i really like that quote i think i might steal it from you i will i will remember who it is and I'll, i will put it on the podcast in a minute um it will pop out in my mind in a few minutes time um so, so um albert ian gray there we go that's uh, that's who that was albert oh, yeah. ian gray I'll, I'll do today the things others don't so i'll have tomorrow the things others won't and that's the key to success make time do the things put your homework in research build your knowledge up because actually the thing you can't take away from anyone is the knowledge 
and you get that in young and you keep doing that. So actually, you're right. Rather than investing 20% of your salary into bank or, or some other fund to help it grow, invest your salary into something else that ingre- increases your ability to earn money, which is why I say to most business owners, um, the most successful business owners are the ones who invest in their business, not in terms of just funding the premises or the people, but how do I build the skill set? So I come to business owners with systems they can use to specifically grow the value of their company. And if they follow those systems, the business will grow in value. But they have to invest time and money in doing that. And so many people say, I haven't got too, too much time for that. I'm too busy selling or doing or making. And they forget to look up and say, where's the world going? What can I do differently? Because that's where the value is. Uh, there's a, a, an oft-quoted phrase from uh, Wayne Gretzky, who's uh, one of the best ice hockey players in the world. And uh, when he was asked why he believed or what he believed made him so successful, he says, my success comes from skating to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. And to me, that's about investing your knowledge for the future, not just for today. Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, that idea of systems is really interesting. I think we, um, I've talked, talked about this with you before. Um, there's this idea that, um, that habits, good habits, uh, people tend to focus on the goals and, the, and aspirations and objectives that they have. And they're all really great. But it was James Clear who, who, who pointed out that, you know, you, you, you take the Olympics, for example, the Olympic gold, silver and bronze medalist all had the goal of, 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 of you know, becoming world class elites in that sport. But so did everybody else that didn't place. And so it's not your goals or your objectives that set you apart. It's the system that you yeah. put in place to achieve them. And so that is a, a, you could paraphrase our financial planning process as to putting those systems in place for your personal finances. Yeah, yeah. Now, so I think this is going to be all we've got time for on this podcast, but we could pick up again later on. And I'd love to lead off on that view of what are systems and how can you put systems in place for your business to help you manage that process going long term. So uh, hopefully we can pick up with you at a later date to, uh, to carry on this podcast, if that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alice. It was a pleasure talking to you. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating. Or send us an email to sparks at ibmconsult.com.